Penguin Random House Audio presents Outer Order, Inner Calm. Declutter and Organize to Make More Room for Happiness. This is the author, Gretchen Rubin. To my readers, listeners, and viewers. Order is heaven's first law. Alexander Pope. Introduction. Why bother with outer order? In my study of happiness, I've realized that for most of us, outer order contributes to inner calm. More than it should. In the context of a happy life, a messy desk or a crowded coat closet is a trivial problem. Yet getting control of the stuff of life often makes it easier to feel more in control of our lives generally. When I'm surrounded by a mess, I feel restless and unsettled. When I clean up that mess, I'm always surprised by the disproportionate energy and cheer I gain. Plus, I'm able to find my keys. A friend once told me, I finally cleaned out my fridge, and now I know I can switch careers. I knew exactly what she meant. By getting rid of the things I don't use, don't need, or don't love, as well as the things that don't work, don't fit, or don't suit, I free my mind and my shelves for what I truly value. And that's true for most people. Often, when disorder starts to creep in, I think, I don't have time to fight my way through all this stuff. I'm too busy to deal with it. But I've learned that by managing my possessions, I can improve my emotional attitude, my physical health, my intellectual vigor, and even my social life. Now, no matter how busy I am, I force myself to take at least a few minutes each day to impose some order. If I'm feeling overwhelmed by multiple writing deadlines, I spend 20 minutes cleaning my office because I know that clearing my papers clears my mind. I've also found that once I start, it's easier to keep going. True, sometimes it feels auspicious to do a big clutter clearing on New Year's Day or as spring cleaning or as pre-Labor Day prep, but now is always the best time to begin. A friend told me, I woke up one morning and on impulse decided to tackle my basement. I spent my entire Sunday down there, and I was so pumped by the end that I wanted to keep going all night. I got up early on Monday morning just to sit there and gloat. It gave me such a lift at the start of a tough work week. We want to cherish our possessions, and we also want to feel free of them. I want to keep every toy that my children ever loved, but I also want to have plenty of space in our apartment. With outer order, we achieve that balance. Outer order offers nine promises. One, outer order saves time, money, space, energy, and patience. I move more smoothly through my days. I don't waste time searching for things. I don't struggle to put things away. I don't have to run out to buy a duplicate of something I already own. It's easier to clean. I feel less frustrated, less rushed, and less cramped. I'm not frittering my life away on trivial chores and annoyances. Two, outer order fosters peace within relationships. I spend less time nagging at or arguing with other people. I avoid boring questions like, 
Where's my passport? Where's the toner? Who left the mess in that room? Where does this go? 3. Outer order creates a feeling of sanctuary. I experience true leisure because I don't feel pressured to jump up and deal with a mess. Once visual noise is eliminated, I feel more focused and there's more room in my mind, my schedule, and my space for creative activity. Instead of being sources of stress, my home and my office are places of comfort and energy. I can revel in the beauty of my possessions because I can see and reach everything easily. I have plenty of room for everything that's important to me. Our physical experience colors our emotional experience, and when my body is in a place that's orderly, my mind becomes more serene. 4. Outer order reduces guilt. I feel relieved of guilt about the possessions I've never used and the projects I've never finished. Because I make better use of what I already own, I can buy less in the future. And I know I'll leave a lighter burden for others to handle after I'm gone. 5. Outer order allows me to project a more positive identity to myself and to the world. I feel greater self-possession. I feel more self-assured and capable. Once I've cleared away the things I don't need, use, or love, my surroundings reveal to me and to others the things that matter most to me. Careful curation means that my space and my possessions reflect my truest identity. 6. Outer order relieves me of the fear of people's judgment. I'm more hospitable because I can invite people over without hours of preparatory cleaning. I don't panic at the prospect of an unexpected guest or an emergency repair. I'm pleased to show my space to others. 7. Outer order reflects what's happening now in my life. Because I've let go of things that once, but no longer, played an active role in my life, I have more time for what's important right now. No more giant toys for my children's babyhood. No more rows of thick law books crowding my office bookshelves. I keep a few precious mementos from the old days, but most of my space is devoted to what's important now. 8. Outer order creates a sense of possibility. When too much stuff piles up, I feel paralyzed. Digging myself out of the mess seems insurmountable, so I stay stuck. When clutter is gone, I have more choices about the future. What to buy, what to do, where and how to live. Because I'm no longer hemmed in by possessions, I feel a sense of renewal. 9. Outer order sharpens my sense of purposefulness. I know what I have, why I have it, and where it belongs. I make good use of everything I own. There's nothing random, no uncertainty, no default choices. I'm surrounded by meaningful possessions that are ready for me to use them. Our rooms shape our thoughts, and our possessions change our moods. It can be challenging to influence our thoughts and actions directly. By improving the state of our surroundings, we can improve our state of mind. Because our minds feed on the experience of our five senses, pleasing our senses raises our spirits. Given how much clutter affects my own happiness and the enthusiasm for this subject in popular culture, 
I'm surprised that researchers haven't investigated the effects of clutter more thoroughly. The studies that do exist tend to address questions such as whether it's better to be organized or messy. To me, the answer seems obvious. It depends. We all differ in what works better. We all must face clutter in the way that's right for us. We're all different in what possessions we value, in the kinds of surroundings that we find pleasurable, in the kinds of habits that come naturally to us, in the dynamics of our household or workplace. There's no one right or best way to create a better life. In fact, we should work to create outer order only if it makes us happier. There's no magic in making a bed or filing papers or emptying an inbox each night. These efforts are worthwhile only if they bring us more happiness. We've achieved the right level of order when we can find what we need, feel good in our space, and don't feel hindered by stuff. For some people, what looks like disorder works just fine. Why then do so many experts insist that they found the one true and right way? It's a fact about human nature. When getting advice, we love to receive a precise, standardized template for success. And when giving advice, we love to insist that the strategy that works so well for us will surely work for others. But each of us must find our own way. Some people want to clear a little clutter each day. Some people want to work for 14 hours straight. Some people struggle with overbuying. Some people, like me, struggle with underbuying. Some people feel a strong emotional or mystical attachment to possessions. Others don't feel much connection to objects. Some people curate their possessions with great care. Others put little thought into what they buy and where they put it. Some people are powerfully attracted by the promise of minimalism. And some people aren't. Nevertheless, while each of us might define and achieve outer order in different ways, it's clear that for most people, outer order does indeed contribute to inner calm. Some people ask me, given the problems of the world, isn't it superficial and silly to devote time, energy, money, or concern to tackling clutter? We may be deeply worried about the problems of the world, and we're right to be worried. Yet the promise of outer order is something that we can tackle on our own right now. By doing so, we help restore our equanimity. And this isn't a futile or selfish gesture, because that equanimity makes us more effective when we seek to address the problems of the world. Outer order, inner calm lays out the five stages for establishing outer order. First, we make choices. What possessions to keep, and what to do with them. Once we've cleared through our things, we create order by organizing, repairing, and attending to neglected areas. Next, we reflect on ourselves to know ourselves and others so that we can take those individual insights into account. Then, once the clutter is vanquished, it's useful to cultivate helpful habits to maintain that order so the clutter doesn't return. The fifth and final step is to add beauty to make our surroundings more inviting and comfortable. The chapters covering these five stages encompass a wide range of suggestions about how to create outer order. 
Different ideas appeal to different people, and each listener can adopt those ideas that strike a chord and ignore the ones that don't resonate. When we tailor our approach to suit our own particular challenges and habits, we're far more likely to be able to fashion the order we desire. Outer Order, Inner Calm isn't a book about how to clean a house or an office. It's a book about how to boost happiness by creating the outer order that fosters inner calm. Step by step, as part of our ordinary routine, without spending a lot of time, energy, or money, we can create the orderly surroundings that help us to live happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative lives. Whenever you listen to this, and wherever you are, you're in the right place to begin. Chapter 1. Make Choices If you want a golden rule that will fit everybody, this is it. Have nothing in your houses that you do not know to be useful or believe to be beautiful. William Morris Clearing clutter is a big challenge. Why? One reason is that the process requires us to make taxing choices about what to keep, what to discard, and why. Often, to make those choices, we must confront the reason that we've accumulated that clutter in the first place. Do any of these explanations sound familiar? This thing is so useful that someday I'll find a way to use it. I can get this thing fixed or altered. Life's too short to spend my time dealing with this thing. This thing was a gift, so I need to keep it out of respect for the giver. This thing hasn't been used up yet. Just wait! Someday this thing will be a collector's item. I never had this thing as a child, so I want to have it as an adult. The more things I keep, the more I will leave my family one day. This thing reminds me of someone I love. If I deal with this thing now, if I make my bed or wash this dish, I'll just have to deal with it all over again tomorrow. I'm more creative with all these things around me. I can't deal with this thing until everyone around me agrees about what we should do with it. Someday, I might need this thing. I don't have the space to put away this thing properly. When I have time, I could do a cool project with this thing. Going through my things stirs up my emotions, and I can't handle that right now. Everyone I know has this thing, so I should have one too. I don't have the time or the energy to decide what to do with this thing. If I get rid of this thing and other things, my home or office will feel sterile and stripped. I've had this thing for so long, I can't get rid of it now. I forgot about that thing! I didn't even realize it was there! This thing will feel lonely or abandoned if I get rid of it. I'll definitely use this thing as soon as I change my life in a major way. I'll get a puppy. I'll lose 30 pounds. I'll form a band. I don't know where to put this thing, so I'll just put it here. I have to leave this thing out where I can see it so that I remember to deal with it. It's exhausting to make decisions. Nevertheless, the crucial first step in creating outer order is to figure out what stays and what goes. 
Creating outer order becomes far easier when there's less clutter to manage, so it's worth the effort to sort through our possessions. At the same time, it's important to remember that outer order isn't simply a matter of having less or having more. It's a matter of wanting what we have. Make choices. Prepare yourself. Clearing clutter is exhausting because it requires us to make choices. And making choices is hard. It takes intellectual energy as well as emotional energy. For this reason, clutter clearing, like everything else in life, is easier when you're well-rested, not hungry, and not rushed. And if necessary, fortified with plenty of caffeine. For a major clutter clearing, you may want to recruit a companion to help you make decisions and deal with the grunt work of sorting, moving, packing, and tossing. Also, proper supplies make the work easier to do. Ziploc bags, garbage bags, labels, storage and recycling bins, plastic gloves, cleaning supplies, a stepladder, a flashlight, a permanent marker, a pair of scissors, boxes, packing tape, a box cutter, manila folders, and paper and a pen may come in handy. Consider the three big questions of clutter. When trying to decide the fate of a possession, ask yourself, do I need it? Do I love it? Do I use it? Sometimes you use something that you don't love, or you need something even though you use it only once every five years. Or perhaps you love something that you never use. That's okay. Just because something isn't being used doesn't mean it's useless. But if you don't need it, love it, or use it, you should probably get rid of it. For any possession that passes this test, ask one additional question. Where does it belong? Every item should have a specific home. Never label anything miscellaneous. And don't use a term that's a synonym for miscellaneous. I once created a file called Active Useful Documents and then never looked in it again. Identify your beneficiaries. It's much easier to let go of unneeded items when we can envision others getting good use from them. So identify people and organizations who will appreciate your contributions. I found it much easier to clear clutter once I identified an organization that accepts toys, an organization that accepts books, an organization that accepts clothes, a soup kitchen that accepts any unopened packages of food, a drugstore that safely disposes of unused prescription medications, a young family who needs children's furniture, a child who loves dolls and stuffed animals. We had a big pile of board games and puzzles that we no longer used. It occurred to me to ask if my daughter's summer camp would like them. The camp directors were pleased to get these activities for rainy days, and I was gratified to know that these items would be getting such hard use. Donate quickly. When we can't make good use of our possessions, it's time to get those things into the hands of people who will benefit from them. However, giveaways can quickly accumulate and become a source of clutter themselves. Create a system for moving things out of your house before too much time passes. 
If you don't, those boxes and bags may take root in their temporary holding spots and stay there for months. Ask yourself, do I need more than one? As you're clearing clutter, if you discover that you have more than one of an item, ask yourself, do I need more than one? While it can be helpful to have more than one phone charger and more than one pair of scissors, you probably don't need two flower sifters or three pen cups on your desk. Weirdly, it's often easier to keep track of one than of multiples. When I have only one pair of sunglasses, I can always find them. When I have more than one pair, I get careless. Mementos should be carefully curated and, if possible, small in size. I'm a big believer in keeping things for sentimental reasons. Remembering happy times in the past gives us a big happiness boost in the present. It's important, though, to think carefully about the things we choose to keep. Those sweaters you wore in high school, could you keep one sweater instead of five? Or could you take a photo of them? Your grandfather's desk, could you keep his pipe instead? The finger paintings your son brought home from preschool, could you frame your favorite masterpiece to hang on the wall and toss the rest? The same is true at work. It's easy for a desk to get crowded with trinkets, mementos, and photos that take up a lot of space without providing much value. Curation matters. Usually, perhaps paradoxically, having fewer mementos allows us to hold on to more memories than having many mementos does, because these keepsakes have been carefully chosen and we're less overwhelmed by the sheer volume. Choose a few items that are truly exceptional and clear out everything else. Find ways to hold on to memories without accumulating mounds of stuff. Oh, old rubbish, old letters, old clothes, old objects that one does not want to throw away. How well nature has understood that every year she must change her leaves, her flowers, her fruit and her vegetables, and make manure out of the mementos of her year. Jules Renard Beware of the easy-to-buy, hard-to-use trap. Some items are very easy and satisfying to buy, but then are hard to use. Gadgets, cookbooks, tech solutions, exercise equipment. They hold great promise, but only if we put them to proper use. And often that takes effort. Do I really want to figure out how to set up that sleek new device? Am I really going to have the kind of party where I'd use those linen napkins? Am I really committed to using a treadmill? How often do I write a letter on nice stationery? When deciding what to buy, remember that some things are easy to buy, but then we have to use them. If they're not used, they don't enhance our lives. They just contribute to guilt and clutter. Allow technology to clear clutter. Often we hang on to possessions that have been replaced by technology. Do you consult the print manuals for your devices or appliances? Or do you just look up the information online? Do you maintain a library of books, DVDs, or CDs, even though you don't use them anymore? Do you have a fax machine, even though you never send or receive faxes? Maybe you still need an alarm clock, calculator, scanner, 
dictionary, thesaurus, etiquette guide, maps, or copier. But perhaps you use a text solution instead, so you don't need to keep those things. If you have the current version of an item, don't keep the outdated version. If you use a new Keurig to make your coffee every day, you don't need your French press. Unless you actually use these items, there's no need to hang on to them any longer. Though it does seem like sacrilege not to own a physical copy of a dictionary. Don't aim for minimalism. Outer order isn't a matter of having less or having more. It's a matter of wanting what we have. For some people, owning a minimal amount of possessions makes them feel freer and happier. That's absolutely true. But it's not true for everyone. Declaring that we'd all be happier with less, or with more, is like saying that every movie should be 120 minutes long. Every movie has a right length, and people differ in the number of possessions and the types of possessions with which they can meaningfully engage. One person is happy with a bare shelf that holds a single vase. Another is happy with a shelf lined with books, photographs, and mementos. We must decide what's right for us. Rather than striving for a particular level of possessions, minimal or otherwise, it's helpful to think about getting rid of what's superfluous. Even people who prefer to own many possessions enjoy their surroundings more when they've purged everything that's not needed, used, or loved. Consider this checklist for a clothes closet. Take stock of the items in your closet. As you pull out each garment, ask, does it currently fit? Do you actually wear it? Do you love it? Or if not, is it truly useful? Even if you love it, is it in such bad shape that you ought to get rid of it? I struggle with this. How many interchangeable items do you own? If you have five pairs of khaki pants, you're not likely to wear your two least favorite pairs. Is it uncomfortable? Have you worn it five times or fewer? It's the rare item that's worth keeping, even if it's almost never been worn. Do you worry that it's out of fashion? If you think it might be, it probably is. Can it only be worn in a limited way, like a shirt that's stained so that it can only be worn under a sweater, or shoes that almost never work? If you're keeping an item only because it was a gift, does the giver know that you have it? If you don't need to make a show of using it, you don't need to keep it. Does it work with other clothes that you have, or would you need to buy new items to make use of it? Do you keep this item merely to fill a category? If you never wear something, you don't need it. You don't need any turtlenecks if you hate to wear turtlenecks. Does it fill a need that no longer exists? This can be hard to admit, so press yourself. Does it need to be altered before you can wear it? If so, get it altered or get rid of it. Do you describe an item of clothing by saying, I would wear that, or I have worn that? These phrases suggest that you don't actually wear it. Does your active closet hold clothes that you're keeping for sentimental reasons or for wearing to a costume party? If so, store those items elsewhere. And be choosy. Only save things that really deserve it. Is a beloved item still flattering, but not in top condition? You might demote it to more casual use, 
A sweater can go from a go-out-to-dinner sweater to a hang-around-the-house sweater. Life is barren enough, surely, with all her trappings. Let us therefore be cautious how we strip her. Samuel Johnson Use a photograph to evaluate clutter. At home or at work, if you're having trouble getting started, try taking photos of an area and evaluating what you see. Somehow, a photograph helps us to see a space with fresh eyes. It changes our perspective and gives us a measure of detachment that can help us decide what items should stay and what need to go. If someone argues against the need to clear clutter, try showing that person a photo of the space. The area may feel very comfortable, but the objective eye of the camera may help a person recognize that it needs to be cleared out. Then, once you've cleared the space, take photos of it so that you can compare before and after images. It's a big morale booster to see visual proof of what you've accomplished. Beware of the someday someone rationale. Sometimes we keep an item because we imagine that someday someone will want this. Ask yourself, how likely is it that someday someone will want this item? At home, if something has a very specific use, is in poor condition, is dated, is of sentimental value, is bulky, requires a very particular decorative environment, or needs a lot of upkeep, it's unlikely that it will be used. Someday someone is likely to throw out that giant aquarium, four-poster bed, damaged bicycle, stuffed animal, or bread maker from 10 years ago. At work, if an item is obsolete, a catalog from two seasons ago, a desk calendar from last year, outdated business cards, is broken, or belongs to a person who no longer works there, it's unlikely that someday someone will want it. Protect your prime real estate. When bringing order to our surroundings, it's important to consider the value of the real estate. For instance, a desk is extremely valuable real estate. Be very selective about what's on the surface of a work desk, as well as in any shelves, drawers, or cabinets that are within easy reach. Unless you're consulting a book every day, don't leave it on your desk. If you have three boxes of your favorite brand of pen, don't store them in your top drawer. It's absolutely true that some people find that unexpected juxtapositions spark their creativity, and some people know exactly where to find anything in the pile on their desk. But even for them, work is easier when prime real estate is reserved for the most useful materials. Move clutter out of context. When we see objects settled into a particular place over time, it becomes hard to imagine where else they might go. So put your clutter into a new context. Pick up items, gather them in a box, and carry the box to a well-ordered room. Once you detach things from their settled places, it's much easier to decide what to do with them. Most decisions don't require extensive research. In many situations, we don't need to make a perfect choice, but just a good enough choice. Three strikes and you're out. My father once told me, people are very reluctant to make a change. So when I started thinking that it might be time to switch jobs, I knew I probably should have switched jobs six months ago. Along the same lines, 
people are reluctant to relinquish their possessions. So if I think that it might be time to discard an item, I probably should have done so already, especially if that thought occurs to me more than once. Now, if three times the thought has occurred to me, I wonder if I should get rid of that. I get rid of it. Should I give away that broken tissue box in the shape of old books or keep it? Should I shred those old credit card statements or retain them? Should I donate those glass vases or hang on to them? Three strikes and you're out. Ask yourself, when was the last time I used this possession? Some things are worth keeping even if they're used only rarely. A good set of binoculars, a sled, formal wear, a box of matches, a cookie baking sheet, a can opener, and power adapters for travel. But many things are used regularly or not at all. Either you often use that white noise generator, bowl for loose change, or electric toothbrush, or you never use it. If you're not using it, get it into the hands of someone who will use it. Beware of the endowment effect. Before you accept something for free or take advantage of a great deal, decide, do I really need this thing? Do I love it? Keep in mind that because of the endowment effect, we value things more once we own them. Once that thing enters your home, it will be tough to get it out again. A mug, a hand-me-down toy, the lamp from your mother-in-law. If you don't need it, don't take it. If you never possess an item, you don't have to store it, dust it, find it, or figure out how to give it away. When clearing clutter, one way to fight the endowment effect is to ask, if I didn't already own this possession, would I buy it? If not, why keep it? Abandon a project. One source of clutter in our homes and a significant drain on our energy is the uncomfortable presence of unfinished projects. Whenever we see evidence of an unfinished project, we get a jolt of annoyance or guilt. I should finish that. I need to deal with that. When am I going to find the time to get that done? These projects take many forms. Knitting experiments, gardening plans, half-built Lego castles, binders full of untried recipes, woodworking projects, giant puzzles. Unfinished projects are irritating in themselves, and they also contribute to clutter, because we often leave them out in the open as a reminder to finish them. Push yourself to finish an unfinished project or call an end to it. The easiest way to complete a project is to abandon it. Get that stuff off your shelf and off your conscience. Consider the X factor. If you can't decide whether to keep an item of clothing, ask yourself, if I ran into my ex on the street, would I be happy if I were wearing this? Often the answer will give you a good clue. Beware of the duration effect. In my own life, I've noticed a phenomenon that's related to the endowment effect, what I think of as the duration effect. The longer I own a possession, the more precious it becomes, even if it has never been particularly valued. We have an ugly, badly designed pair of scissors, but my husband got them as a high school graduation gift. How can we get rid of the scissors now? 
This phenomenon is strongest with any possession related to my children. My daughters never played with that china tea set, but now that we've had it for 15 years, how can we give it away? Because of the duration effect, I try to hurry unwanted things out the door. The longer I keep them, the harder it is to let them go. Beware of conference swag, office freebies, and promotional giveaways. Yes, I went to that conference, and I received a branded mug, a t-shirt, a metal water bottle, a journal and pen, and an eraser in the shape of a cow. But if I don't have a clear plan to use these things, they're clutter. The best way to deal with clutter is never to accept these freebies in the first place. Something free can end up costing a lot of time, energy, and space. Forecast the future. Imagine that it's far in the future and your relatives have arrived to clean out your house. What items will they want? And what items will they give away, toss, or recycle? You can make their job in the future easier by dealing with your possessions now, instead of foisting that job on them. Ask yourself, is this possession moving around? Many things, if well used, move around. Clothes come out of their drawers, go to the laundry, return to their place. Books circulate around the house. Dishes come out of the cabinets, get dirty, get clean. For these kinds of possessions, staying in one place for a long time is a clue that they may be clutter. And are there whole rooms, whole closets, entire filing cabinets or sets of shelves where nothing comes or goes? These areas begin to feel stale and stagnant, and if nothing they hold ever moves around, they should probably be cleared out. Don't get organized. When you're facing a desk covered in papers, or a closet bursting with clothes, or countertops littered with piles of random objects, don't say to yourself, I need to get organized. No. Your first instinct should be to get rid of stuff. If you don't own it, you don't have to organize it. Beware of storing things. For some things, holiday decorations, seasonal clothes, vacation gear, storage makes sense. You put these things away, and when you need them, you get them out again. But in many cases, storing a possession is just a way to delay deciding what to do with it. It's tempting just to collect and neglect, that is, dump something in the attic or the basement, rather than figure out whether and how to toss, recycle, or give it away. The U.S. Department of Energy estimates that 25% of people who have two-car garages don't park their cars inside because that space is used for storage. In the long run, you'll be happier if you don't put much into storage. Before you squirrel something away, ask yourself, why am I keeping this? Realistically, are you going to reread your old college textbooks? Toss unnecessary papers. Paperwork is one of the toughest forms of clutter to vanquish. Getting rid of old papers is less satisfying than cleaning out a closet or a dust drawer, and it's often much more anxiety-provoking. To decide what to keep and what to toss, ask, Do you actually need this piece of paper or receipt? What specific use does it serve? Have you ever used it? 
how easy would it be to replace it if you needed it? Except for items like old letters and journals, most things can be replaced. Will it quickly become dated, like travel or shopping information? Does the internet mean that it's no longer necessary? For instance, the instruction manuals for most appliances are now online. What's the consequence of not having it if you do need it? Was it once necessary, but is now related to a part of your life that's over? Could you scan it so that you have a copy if you need it? At work, does someone else have a copy of it? Have you verified your assumptions? For instance, when you took your current position, your coworker told you, I always keep these receipts, so you assumed that you need to keep them too. But maybe you don't. One of the biggest wastes of time is doing something well that didn't need to be done at all. I got an email from a teacher who complained about how much time she'd spent shredding old lesson plans and student essays. Why do those papers need to be shredded at all? My sister had accumulated a huge mound of statements and receipts. She wanted to buy a file box to store everything away neatly, but she realized that she'd never needed the papers in the past and that it wouldn't be hard to get copies if she ever did need them. So she tossed all of it. She didn't need to organize those papers at all. Make a mock move. Moving is a great time to clear clutter. Often, when we must go to the trouble to pack up something, we realize that we don't want it anymore. Take advantage of this phenomenon by doing a mock move. Walk through your rooms, look at what you have, and ask yourself, if I were moving, would I bother to wrap this in bubble wrap and stick it in a box? Or would I chuck it or give it away? You may decide not to pack that battered Monopoly game, or the giant ceramic serpent that your daughter made in second grade, or the rice cooker that you've used only once. So don't wait for a real move. Make your home nicer by tossing, recycling, or donating these items now. Clear clutter before you move, not after you move. Moving from one house to another is a stressful, busy time, and it can be tempting to think, I'll just pack everything and sort through it at the other end. Try to do your sorting before you move. First, you'll save the expense of moving something that you'll eventually just toss or give away. Also, you want to outfit your pristine new home only with the things that you truly need, use, or want. Don't fill it, even temporarily, with useless or unwanted items. When in doubt, throw it out. Or recycle it, or give it away. Escape from clutter limbo. Sometimes, clutter is caused by uncertainty. That toy might be broken, or maybe it just needs a new battery. The label maker might be defective, or maybe I didn't push the correct button. This CD might be permanently scratched, or maybe it would work if I wiped it off. Did I stop reading this novel 50 pages in because I didn't like it, or because I just misplaced it? Move objects out of clutter limbo by taking the steps needed to decide their fate. Confront deep clutter. There's clutter, and then there's deep clutter. Deep clutter is easy to ignore. In deep clutter, items are well organized and put away neatly. And to the inattentive glance, everything looks great. 
But in fact, these things are clutter because they aren't used, needed, or loved. For a long time, I maintained a big notebook with plastic sleeves that held business cards. I'd taken great satisfaction in how perfectly the business cards fit into their slots and how nicely the notebook fit on my shelf. Then one day, I realized that I hadn't consulted a single business card in the past two years. The notebook and the cards were pure clutter. I cleared out the notebook and gave it away. After we've eliminated the visible and annoying layer of clutter that lies on the surface of life, we can turn our attention to the deep clutter that weighs us down unnoticed. Clear any off-site storage units. Once you've stashed items in an off-site unit, it's easy to forget about them. But you're paying to store them, month after month after month. Do you even know what's inside your storage unit? Visit your unit and make tough choices. If you never need or want these things, why are you keeping them? Fight waste by not acquiring. Many people have trouble clearing clutter because they hate the idea that they're adding more junk to the landfill and putting more trash into the world. But once we own something, that object exists, whether it's in the basement or at the dump. If this is an issue for you, and even if it's not, fight waste by not acquiring that item in the first place. Don't foist your clutter on other people. Getting rid of things can be tough. One unhelpful strategy? To push our stuff onto other people. Sometimes we press people to accept our things to relieve our own bad feelings. We feel guilty because we spent money on an item that we never used or because we'd like to replace a perfectly serviceable item with something new. To make ourselves feel better about this wastefulness, we push our possessions onto other people, who may or may not actually want them. We use generosity to disguise our true motives. I've told myself, I never wore this shirt, but I'll give it to my daughter, and she can wear it. Or, I never found a way to use this platter, so I'll give it to my sister. If these recipients really want to have these things, that's wonderful. But I shouldn't press them to be the receivers of my discards to avoid the prick of conscience. They always say time changes things, but you actually have to change them yourself. Andy Warhol